Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. And I mean, I experienced it when I was diagnosed as well. Like the doctors sort of paint quite a grim picture for you to say like, you've got type one diabetes. Stay indoors. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna live with this for the rest of your life. If you don't manage this well, you're gonna lose feet, eyes, like eyesight, all these horrific things. And I think that just like instantly will shock guys into a state of like, I need to be conservative. Mm. And I get it from the doctor's perspective because humans, I mean, we don't like to believe in something until it really happens. Yeah. So I'm not going to take it seriously. And then I go blind. Oh, flip. I should have taken that seriously. So I understand where the medical professionals are coming in from that angle and being quite hard about it. But I think a lot of people then leave that like room or that consultation thinking like quite negatively and, oh, my life's now going to be governed by this, this chronic illness for the rest of my life. And I need to be super conservative about what I do. And my perspective was the opposite. I was like, I'm not gonna let this thing own what Mm. I do. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And running essentially helps you manage your diabetes a million times better. Nicola. Davide. How was your 10K over the weekend? Sure, man. Tell me all about it. Thank you. trained hard for it. I didn't train hard <laughs> for it, Dave. You're making me, you're going to make me feel bad. But um, I've been training. Uh, let's put it that way. I've been training uh, for probably a good six weeks. Not for the 10K, but as part of it, uh, as part of the running journey, I wanted to test myself over this 10K. And yeah, it was, it was good. I actually forgot how tough it is to run a 10K. Uh, it's just it's such a hard intensity to to match for whatever distance or for whatever time you're running. The the biggest insult was that Davey beat me <laughs> after four weeks of doing no running. Um, yeah, that sucked. Yeah, so, that felt really good. Yeah. That was my goal the entire time. Beat me time. by 10 seconds. No, no. 10. No, no. I saw him the whole way. It was a typical Davey move, you know. We're going we're gonna to run together. Within no, 2Ks, he was just... 10 seconds ahead of me and that's where he stayed. That's what Davey does. And uh, even my wife phoned me after. He's like, Davey finally ran with you. And I'm like, no, he didn't. You to ran. be fair, I did keep looking over my shoulder to see if you were there. Oh. And I couldn't see you. And I looked out three or four times. Oh, but if I had so? seen you, I would have just tried to run faster. <laughs> so maybe it's for Just wanted best. to bury the coach, eh? Absolutely. I don't have to train for this. <laughs> I can just go and run. But, but it, it was a really cool event. It was the um, Absa Run Your City series in Durban. Um, and that Absa Run Your City's uh, Run Your City series is really an amazing event. If you haven't, if you hadn't checked it out, um, it does go to pretty much every single city in South Africa. It does Cape Town, Joburg, Kabacha, Kubecha, Kubecha, PE, which is I think the same thing. It is, <laughs> and then Durban. So I mean, you kind of have no excuse if it comes to your city. Definitely give it a go. It is a premium event in South Africa, and I think we really all enjoyed it. Yeah, and another element of you know 10k running and just being around the running community and necessarily the faster guys of the running community that we don't often get to spend too much time with training on our, on our own side of the world. Um, was a little bit of, yeah, what, what would you call it? It's like the frustration of running in a way where 
you set your goals on something, you set your sights on something. And once you get to that, you want to set your sights higher and you always want to set your sights higher. You always want to try and improve. Um, so, you know, we ran a good time. We ran 36, 36 and a half minutes or so. Davey a little bit faster, me a little bit slower. Um, when, when I used to run, you know, when I started my running journey, a sub 40 was like, you know, I would have been so stoked with that. You were part of the club. Yeah, I was so stoked. <laughs> and then when I ran 38, I was like, wow. And now, you know, 36 and I'm still like, okay, we can keep on improving. But I look around me, everybody else is improving. But you know what? I also, I mean, I, we, we've had this conversation and I know exactly what you're saying. But I also think it's a testament to, you know, how popular running is becoming in this country. And a lot of people that weren't running two or three years ago have begun running and a lot of talented people are obviously, you know, finding their rhythm. And, mm, and I, yeah. I just think, you know, which, which is amazing. It makes us feel like donkeys, <laughs> but you know, but you know, for the, it's running, all relative. It's all relative. And for the running culture in South Africa, it's always nice to see new faces or people that maybe two years ago, you know, weren't doing so great. And now t- two years later, absolutely flying. And I think, you know, that that's, that's for a, a whole number of re- reasons, you know, like mm. the amount of races that we have in South Africa, maybe the training programs that are being released, the coaches that are coaching them and, and all sorts. So yeah. it's really nice to see in South Africa. And it's also nice to see a mix of people. So we're talking about fast, but then you also have, you know, yeah, your regular all, runners, all types of runners, and people doing their first ever 10K. And that's the beauty of it. You know, whether you're running 60 minutes, 70 minutes, uh, 90 minutes for a 10K or just walking it or just walking it. I think the the difficult part of the 10K is that it's it's a high intensity the whole way. It takes quite a lot of focus. Um, you, you are pushing your heart rate quite high. We say when you're running an ultra or a marathon, you're it's not a bit more sustained. And, and that was part of the questions that we actually asked Jono uh, in our conversation today. You know, it, it was a great conversation. We spoke to John LaRue about running with diabetes. He, he's a guy that's, that found out quite late in life that he had type one diabetes and or as you'll say, and the, and the diabetes community will say living with diabetes. Um, but you know, we asked him the specific thing of when you're running an ultra or when you're running a marathon, you're running at a sub threshold for a specific amount of time. Whereas when you're running a 10K or a 5K, you're going as hard as you can for that amount of time. So how does that impact him? And he didn't really know how it would impact him, but he had a blistering run. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, Ron. I think he he's, um, so I mean, you'll find out a lot about Jono in this podcast, but a bit of a spoiler alert, he's recently done UTD 100 miler. Um, and for somebody, you know, with type 1 diabetes to do that is an amazing achievement. And I think, you know, his feedback was he's still getting back into running. I think he's had a few niggles. And yeah, he had an amazing run. He ran under 40 minutes. I don't want to quote the time, but I think it was I'm going to quote the time, but it may not be correct. I think it was 38.50 something, which is absolutely unbelievable. Fantastic. Um, And I mean, just about this conversation, guys, you know, I went into it not knowing too much about diabetes in general. And, you know, just being able to to understand it and learn it. And Jonah does such a nice job of really dumbing it down. Um, and I left that conversation really having a, a newfound appreciation for diabetes in general. And, and also, you know, people that, you know, live with diabetes and go out and, and you know, still run, swim, cycle, mm. wh- whatever, whatever they want to do. Because I think we obviously take it for granted. You know, it's, it's like having a disability almost that we can do whatever we, we want. And it is just, it's a... 
it, it's a struggle, um, but I think educating yourself on it um, is always is always a great thing to do. Yeah, and I think it was just so motivational on how Jono went about it because, you know, we were asking him a lot of detailed questions about, I mean, I was expecting to try to get an idea of how much carbs, how much fats, how much protein. And he's more the type of guy that just says, you know, I, Go I, on I, feel. I want to be intuitive with this thing. I don't want to just be so scientific about it. I want to know how my body feels and react to it. And I think there's a lot to take home from that. But the main thing that I thought was a great take home is that, there's, there should be no boundary to what you're trying to achieve. If you set your goals on something, regardless of your disability, you know, there is a way to get there. Just finding the right support network, the right people to assist you in getting there. And, you know, the, the sky's the limit. You, you know the quote that I'm looking for, Elliot Kipchoge? No human is limited. Absolutely. And that's what this was about. So, guys, we hope you really enjoy the conversation that we had with Jono. We know we did. And if you have any questions or comments, please drop into our DMs or leave us a comment on Instagram. If you haven't uh, followed us on Instagram, make sure to go give us a follow. It's where we pretty much push all of our content out. And, yeah, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Here's Jono. Sit back, relax, and enjoy, guys. Jono, thank you for being with us here today. Um, Davey reckons you slept in the car park to be here. That's how much you wanted it, eh? I saw it. I, I saw the blanket, the pillows in the back of that Land Rover. Well, I mean, guys, just to be honest, it's an honor to be here. Uh, yeah, obviously, Davey reached out like a couple of weeks ago and asked if I was keen. And yeah, very, very happy to jump on board. Obviously, just to follow Bakes and Gerda, it's a tough, tough one, but uh, yeah. hopefully... <laughs> Look, I think we've got experience is decent enough to, to follow on from those well, guys. You're, you're in the shadow of giants, but uh, what some of those, those giants don't have is something that you do have, which is obviously one of the rain, main reasons why we wanted to you know bring you on today. Uh, Jono isn't your everyday runner. He's a very passionate runner, but uh, Jono, you obviously... I know you. I know you briefed us before. You're living with diabetes, <laughs> but you have type one diabetes, and obviously, I think it's a very important, you know, topic for for us to you know touch on. I personally don't know too much about diabetes, so today's going to be an education um, <laughs> education session for me. Sure. Nick, I don't know about you. How, how much do you know about diabetes? I mean, I've, I work with diabetes in my practice. We, yeah. We've got chronic patients that struggle with diabetes, so I mean. I, I know a little bit, but okay. um, yeah, we'll let, we'll let Jono do the talking today yes. <laughs> and we'll just, we'll touch base and always relate it back to running because like I was saying off air to Jono, it's a lot of the time, it's it's not a death sentence, it's something that you can manage and manage really well and as you showed us a couple of months back by, by running UTD 100 miler, which is, is an extremely tough event, uh, to, to manage your, your blood glucose for that amount of time on your feet it's, it's quite a feat but we'll get to that so sure. Jono obviously living with type 1 diabetes or living with diabetes that's that's a that's from early on in your life right so yeah I get, a lot of people are diagnosed with it like super early some are literally born and it's already activated in a sense um, I was I consider myself fortunate because I had what they call late onset type 1 diabetes so I got diagnosed in June 2017 I think I was 27 years old at the time so I had already yeah had a, I'd had a good time before yeah you got <laughs> until to, then you abused the body a bit before <laughs> yeah, then. yeah it, it had all the good stuff so I, I felt quite fortunate in that regard but yeah it's, it's weird like every year the, the sort of research gets broader and deeper in the sense of like 
you know, the traditional way or, or thought behind contracting or getting type 1 diabetes is, is changing and there's no real facts behind why that is. I mean, my cousin was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes a year or two ago and he was 34 at the time. Sure. So like when I was 27, the doctors were looking at me a bit strange already like, this is quite late and quite unusual, whereas now it seems to be normal. So I don't know if it, personally, I sort of believe maybe it's the food we're eating and what's going mm. into that, um, because I can't really see anything else that's really affecting it um, when you look at sort of the causes or things that bring it about, because traditionally it was also, always thought it was like type 1 was genetic based, yeah. so it was hereditary. We look back at our family tree and, well, <laughs> no one. not that we can like figure out or maybe they just had it and they didn't know that they had it and they lived with it. But yeah, it wasn't something that was prominent or evident in our family tree beforehand. And if so, then, you know, where's you know, my brothers and my sisters and all my mm, other cousins yeah. don't why, have why it. Why are you? Yeah. So I want to start by then asking for someone like Davey who doesn't know too much about diabetes. Uh, and like you say- Let me rephrase it. Type 1 diabetes, um, one o no, what is it? <laughs> Yeah, you stuffed Di it up. Just diabetes up. for dummies. <laughs> diabetes for dummies. So yeah, let's break go. down diabetes a little bit because there's obviously two different types of diabetes that we deal with and they they people tend to mix up the two, uh, yeah. but they're very different in the way that they present and the way that your body actually reacts to it. So let's just start off with type one. Sure. So look, type one is obviously the more serious version of the two. Um, there's not... It's... Yeah, there's nothing you can really do about it. But basically what happens is your immune system attacks itself in the pancreas and it attacks the beta cells, which essentially secrete, will produce and secrete insulin to your body. And the insulin then regulates the glucose levels in your blood. Um, once that's happened, there's no turning back the clock, you know, getting that revitalizing or whatever, the, the pancreas. It's, it's a done deal. And from then on, you now have to manually sort of manage your glucose levels. And you do that, there's obviously different ways like management systems. So the most basic version is like you finger prick test your finger, draw blood and you put that into a little uh, glucose monitoring device and then it spits out a reading. Um, and that's pretty much the most affordable, most basic version. Then you can take it up a level where I'm kind of sitting on at the moment where I've got what they call a flash uh, glucose monitor, which I get from Libre. And that you just swipe your phone past it and it tells you live reading. live reading what it's been doing for the last two hours if you haven't checked in the last two hours and sort of the trajectory of where it's going. So is that a patch that you wear? Yeah, just a little round circular patch that fits on the back of your arm. <coughs> but a time, I actually bought some here just to show you guys. There we, um, go. we, can, we can hold it up in front of the camera there. Yeah, so this is actually um, the Super Sapiens one. So this is a continuous glucose monitor. It's sending a live reading 24-7 to my little watch thing here um that's i can just look at it and just tells you 132 i'm good so that watch is purely just for just to take your glucose eating glucose 100 percent. so when you're running you don't worry about your heart rate you worry about your, your well <laughs> i only just started using this now you, before i was literally two watches on sorry i've yeah, just seen that it's a bit of a it's more like just a wrist thing i don't know it's not a watch but before i literally only just started using this now maybe two weeks ago um I don't even know if they're available in South Africa because Super Sapiens is obviously like the performance version of a, of a glucose monitor. So like your Kipchogis and those guys are using it to dial in their glucose levels and nutrition, whereas they've now, and they've taken the Libre technology to make that. And then the Freestyle Libre sense that I'm using 89% of the time I have been using 
is just the flash monitor that you just flash part your phone. It doesn't send a live reading continuously all the time to your devices. Mm. So I used the flash free, well, the Freestyle Libre monitor. I uh, started using it end of last year, about November. And it was from using that device and getting that sort of feedback and information on what my runs were doing to my glucose levels, like what my food was doing, that sort of gave me the confidence to mm. jump into like an event like UTD. Before that, I was literally finger prick testing all the time. Sure. And that method is yeah, it's so inundated and like tedious. And obviously, you ha- if you want to test a lot to really figure out what's going on, you just holes in your hands. Pricking yourself everywhere. Yeah, but, and it's not great. But to mention, obviously, we're mentioning glucose, and I think it's it's worth taking it back a little bit. Even when if anyone's listened to any of our nutrition podcasts, obviously, we're talking glucose as it's an important fuel source mm. for the body. Right. And now with a condition like type one diabetes, because your insulin uh, does not get secreted by, by the pancreas. Now, insulin is the regulator of that glucose. So you can either end up in conditions where you have way too much glucose because your body can't actually take it in as an energy source. Yeah. And or you can go the opposite route, especially in an ultra event where you end up with too little glucose, and that's probably even more fatal. Um, sure. So that's why it's so important to to be able to monitor that and be able to understand how your body reacts to it from a training perspective and yeah. from a nutrition perspective. And I'm sure we'll get into the nutrition element of it, but that's that's the reality of type one. Hundred percent. I mean, and oh, I suppose. I try to find like analogies to simplify it for people to understand, but like even on the way over here, I'm like, how, how can I just explain this? Because it literally affects everything you do. It like that glucose source to your body is literally the fuel for everything. So yeah, you can like you say, you can go hyperglycemic and go too high and have too much, and then that's got weird symptoms that you start experiencing, um, and then hypoglycemic as well, too low, start the shakes, get the sweats feel like yeah super not, weird not good not great yeah and that's again obviously the more prominent or dominant sort of effect you're going to feel with with running ultras or any sort of exercise mainly but I and mean, then yeah i suppose over an extended period of time that sort of mismanagement leads to much more serious problems like blindness and vital organs failing mm. limbs being amputated and obviously, this is something that, like you said, it, it's a disorder that presents in your body without real known cause still to this day. Um, whereas, obviously, type 2, there, there's definitely closer links to lifestyle behavior for that. Am I correct? Yeah. Um, so that's what they pretty much base type 2 off. But again, like I say, every year research dives in deeper and they, and they sort of finding new results. And there is still a part to type 2 that they kind of attaching to hereditary and genetic as well. Um, but I was listening to, actually to a Rich Roll podcast the other day, and the guy was saying, like, they're doing so much research across the board now in terms of, like, the association of genetics to, uh, like, chronic illnesses and disease and lifestyle, and it's still coming out that, like, 80% of it's based off lifestyle and 20% of it's coming from genetics. Mm, so. Mm. Regardless, like if you're just going to live an unhealthy lifestyle, then you've got such an obviously increased chance of catching one of these sort of illnesses. And can you reverse a type 2? So type 2 is reversible. I think it's dependent on the individual and how far down the line they, they're into that journey. Well, let's just, let's just give an idea of what type 2 is before we get any further with that. Okay, thing. so type 2 basically what... 
so for what I know, like disclaimer, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a specialist in diabetes. So, but you know a thing or two. I'll just deal with it on, and I know what my body deals with. So, type two, basically, you've lived an unhealthy lifestyle, you've abused your your sort of insulin system, and your body is now starting to reject it. Um, it's like lost all sensitivity to it, so it's almost not accepting mm. the insulin anymore. And then obviously now your glucose levels start to increase in your blood system and it's not getting distributed to your body. But if you then change that lifestyle, you start exercising and you start eating the right stuff, your body becomes sensitive again to that insulin and you can sort of slowly reverse it in that, in that manner. So yeah. yeah, it's not the end all and be all of type two. Type one, type two, type... That's it. That's it. Yeah. It's, uh, Davey was hoping there was Sliding scale I don't know <laughs> Top 10 I don't know. <laughs> You never know Like research next year There might be a time three Coming out soon But, but obviously With your condition being the, the lifestyle condition The one that you Have to live with For the rest of your life now The implications there Yes you can manage it As best as you can But you're always Going to have to rely on Insulin To be able to manage That glucose And now with the live feedback that you're able to get in terms of a glucose monitor, I'm sure that's made you realize exactly how to train around that glucose and how to eat around that glucose even better. Is that so? Um, yeah, 100%. I think yeah, the access to that information is crucial. Like I went off a very intuitive feeling prior to receiving these Freestyle Libre sensors where like if I was on a run, you can feel that low starting to kick in, but... The truth is, once you're feeling it already, it's too late. Um, you, know, you, you can correct it, but it's not going to take half an hour, 40 minutes for you to come right. And I don't know how much of my races or training runs I was doing where I was actually just too high at the same mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's what I want to ask. I mean, from the start, wh when it did start, how, how did it present for you? Were you already a runner at that stage? Or did you only get into running after you were diagnosed with diabetes? And what were the sort of first symptoms that made you realize, actually, there's, there's something wrong with me? Okay, well, like, yeah, funny enough, we were talking earlier, Neisner Marathon's on this weekend. And that was my first half marathon, I think, back in 2012, I think. Um, like, running, I think, genetically, it's like, my, you know, my dad ran a lot, um, so from school days, junior school days and that, I was always running, um, played a lot of sport. But like most of us, when we hit varsity, that doesn't become a priority <laughs> yeah. anymore. And it took the, the wayside for quite a while. <laughs> but then, yeah, I think after Neisner, I kind of wanted to get back into it a bit more. Um, and I think I did my first trail race, which you guys, I believe Luke and the Essex team are doing at Bastille Day. Um, yes. In 2015, good luck. It's a toughie. I'm doing um, it next, next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Maybe he's just breaking himself. He's yeah. doing the Absa 10K this weekend. The 50 kilometers next. No, I'm just joking. Look at next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 fun, but it it is tough. Um, so I was yeah, I, I was kind of running and and I thought being like relatively fit uh, just prior before the diagnosis happened, but. Yeah, I came back from Spain and I was, yeah, I, I mean, I'm already quite a lean guy and I was down to 62 kilos, um, but I was eating like the house and the fridge broken, always <laughs> thirsty. Like I think like the one day I kind of like counted almost like 10, 11 liters of water in a day. Ew. Um, always fatigued, always tired. Sure. And I think the fatigue was obviously coming from having high glucose levels. Mm. And eventually I was like, I think I needed to see a doctor, but... I booked, so I booked a, an appointment, went in there, 
thought that I might have like an overactive thyroid gland or something like that. And chatting to them for three, four minutes, just like, I think you got diabetes. And I was like, not a chance. There's no one in my family who's got it. My best friend's got it. And I know it sort of works. And yeah, he sort of, we did a quick test and my glucose levels were sitting at like 25, (laughs) which is, and to give you like context, it's meant to be between like four and seven. Um, and yeah. so, so, but then in, <clears throat> in that period where, like, obviously you developed it, right? Because that's what you assume happened. Obviously, there's a lot of um, side effects, like, like you're explaining, like weight um, loss and weight, but then also like confusion um, mm. and, and, and all of that. So, how long do you think you, you had it that was undiagnosed? And did you ever, do you think you ever experienced some of those, like, you know, Say now if you Our if pose you, or pose. Yeah, yeah. Um like I would probably say if they had to have done it like a year before, they probably would have started picking it up. So you think you did it for a whole year without yeah, any I, treatment? I think it would have slowly like they sometimes diagnose type two guys as pre diabetic. So okay. they're starting to see like oh the glucose level is a little glu- bit alarming, yeah. But and you your can't insulin do, is yeah. high as well. So yeah, it's you can only look at it in hindsight because I literally didn't think it was diabetes at all. But then when you sit down and they start explaining symptoms and side effects, you start going, oh, well, I did experience something similar to that a year ago or eight months ago, that sort of story. And then like, I guess I was lucky because I've heard of other guys, their way of being diagnosed is that they literally went into a coma at the dining room yeah, table and it. fell on the, you know, that's how they figured it out. So I was quite lucky that I managed to find it mm. in a relatively easier way. <laughs> yeah. But to go back to what you're saying with like the running, so when I was in the hospital and you're sitting talking to the specialist doctor there, he's basically just giving you the three pillars to, to manage your diabetes, which is obviously injecting with synthetic insulin, diet, and exercise. And I was like, well, I'd like the exercise and, the, and eating relatively healthy already, so I'll put the insulin in, but I'll obviously make the best effort now to to focus on all three the best I can. And yeah, so from there, I kind of started off really slow because you can now figure out how your body's reacting to all your foods and yeah. rest and stress and the rest of it. But yeah, having sort of well, living and growing up near the Drakensberg, sort of just got back into the mountains with like hikes and stuff like that on my weekends. And yeah, that sort of just rolled over as I got comfortable and understood how everything was operating. Then, yeah, managed to find my way back into running and, yeah, it kind of just grew from there. So how long have you been living with diabetes now? I think it's like six years. Six years, okay. And you obviously just ran your, your first 100-miler UTD? Yes. In, in April 100%. this year. And the build up to that hundred mile, like you say, it's been a it's a, it's been a massive learning process. Uh, obviously, we don't doubt the fact that you do the physical activity side of it because you wouldn't be able to line up at a hundred mile without the physical activity. But I want to get more into the nutrition side of it, just to get an understanding of, like you said, you're already eating pretty well. Like, what did you actually end up changing? Because we know obviously certain types of foods are richer in glucose. So is that the sort of better way to try and manage it is to try and limit the glucose and how do you go about obviously glucose being a fuel main fuel for ultra distance running uh how do you manage that in terms of your training so without even talking about when you got to the race Mm. um your build up from changing your nutrition and learning about how your body reacted to that glucose um i think like i have 
I haven't gone like super detailed into counting carbs and burning this amount of calories per hour. I need to substitute it with this and that. I've again taken quite an intuitive sort of approach to it. Um, obviously, the quality of food was is more important to me than counting carbs and stuff like that. So, making sure that the meals are an opportunity to sort of better your physical condition. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I kind of like to look at it. And yeah, so mainly focusing on your whole foods. Um, and you never thought of cutting out glucose or carbs altogether? Uh, no, I, st- I feel like the amount of mileage I was putting in, in the exit, like I burn calories yeah. just sitting. So uh, it's never been something I've had to <coughs> worry about. And I knew I was going to be burning that stuff off yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, you naturally. Yeah. I mean, I tried back in 2019, I was training for an Ironman and I got a diabetic ultra athlete nutritionist on board from Australia because I was like she must know what's going on like this is it and she put me like we tried a whole vegan approach and I then counted her calories that she was giving me and it wasn't even like half of what I was burning a day and it just couldn't sustain me just calorie deficit from that yeah so from then I was like dude if it's healthy and it's whole food you can eat it um you know even bananas so good for you, but it's going to spark your glucose, but it's going to come back down pretty mm. quick anyway. Mm. So, but then talking about, um, obviously, so the way I understand it, you can be too high or too low, right? And sure. you inject insulin. Yeah. Do you inject it? Yes. Okay. So where, where do you inject it? Because I know some ultra runners don't want to inject it, obviously, in their lower body and upper body because you're using a lot of that. So I've literally, yeah, quads, okay, stomach, glutes, a lot of guys do the back of their arm, back of their tricep. Maybe David needed some insulin injection. <laughs> yeah. feels I needed some cortisone. I went like, like sometimes what I'm doing in the leg, I'm like, am I damaging muscles here? Like, yeah. what am I doing? But it's such a tiny needle, right? Yeah. It's, it's not an intramuscular. It's just uh, super tiny. Like when they're fresh, they, you don't even feel it. So then just also, I'm just trying to gather my understanding once again. So if you're yeah. too high, you take insulin. Yes. And if you're too low, you take insulin. No. So... Okay. <laughs> So, Insul- sorry. <laughs> yeah, so insulin's job is it's going to take the glucose from your bloodstream and into your body. So when you're testing your glucose levels, you're testing how much glucose is in your bloodstream. Yes. So too much, then it's like in my head, I think of it turning into like syrup and then everything slows down and you're like moggy sort of yeah, vibes. Yeah. Um, and it's to regulate it, so to take the glucose out of your blood into your body and then obviously that brings your glucose down. Yes. If you hit a low, then you've got to eat glucose to bring it back up. So when you're too low, you eat? Yeah. Uh, so that's like okay. snack heaven time. So that's where I'm not worried about yeah. the quality of what I'm eating. And what do you that's eat when it's too low? Uh, is that, is that I should say things like bananas <laughs> and mangoes. Kit Kats. Kit Kats <laughs> really, and yeah. Cokes. The things Especially that if you need it back it. quick, like on a run. Okay. It's, it's making the worst. sense now. Yeah, it's just about balancing that out. I think what you didn't understand, and I think what a lot of people don't struggle to understand, is that you think it's in your body when it's in your bloodstream, but but it isn't. Your bloodstream is merely the the network of this, yeah. of moving that glucose around your body, and then your cells take that glucose in and turn it into energy. So as long as it's in your bloodstream, it's not actually into your body. And insulin literally takes that glucose particle into your cell. And then it can be burned. But now, if you're, if you, and that's what happens in type 2 diabetes, is your insulin is not as effective. So now you get glucose, insulin, but the insulin is not taking the glucose across. So you end up with people that have high glucose and high insulin levels. And they, that's the pre diabetic sort of 
stage that we're talking about. Got it. And you can't be allergic to insulin, hey? I'm sure there's people that are allergic to insulin. Uh, I'm not 100% certain. But uh, I think knowing humanity in general, there's, there's going to be someone, someone out there that no, is No, the reason why I was asking enough. is I actually got confused between penicillin and insulin. Because I know uh, when you go to the hospital, they always ask you, do you have a penicillin allergy or whatever? And I was like, but then I realized insulin and penicillin. Yeah, but different things. David. Sorry. <laughs> you can't live without insulin. Yeah. So, okay. so I think even to give context, like I think it was... In 1915, where the guys were like, not they didn't discover insulin, but they were able to replicate and produce a synthetic insulin. Before then, I think they gave you like two months to live if you were diagnosed really? with diabetes. Yeah, and it's weird. They've got these videos online. You'll see like it looks like like a quite a scary looking like hospital room with people just lying in beds, and they've all got diabetes, and then they're like they all sort of look like they passed out or in a coma of sorts, and they're getting injected with insulin and they all just start like, start waking up it looks very creepy oh, but it. like i mean yeah, you know, we just like you to live in a stage where it's quite advanced tech around it and yeah hoping you live every day but it's still a 24 hour a day management well, system well that's why i wanted to ask in terms of it whether you ever looked at say going into a more keto style diet because obviously then you 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 really trying to limit the amount of carbohydrates that you're taking therefore limiting the amount of glucose and teaching your body to utilize more of the ketones that are produced from from your fats but we're not we're not going to get into that because obviously you haven't you haven't tried that but uh, a lot of people that do get diagnosed with type one uh, they also yes. attempt that in terms of trying to manage their their glucose levels a little bit better yeah, I think, again, like my approach to this stuff was always, like I say, intuitive to yeah. a, a degree where there's so much to think about and consider. Like I tried that when I was back in 2019 training for that Ironman where I like literally recorded pre, during, post, like foods I was eating, how hot, hard I was going, how hot it was, because literally even just the temperature of the air is going to have an effect on, on what your glucose levels are doing. And it just got to this thing where it was like that analysis paralysis sort yeah, of over, overdoing it overdoing it and yeah Still i was just not like this is not fun exactly so, so now it's just like i say if you're doing the basics right and you're feeling good um i'm not going to sit there counting carbs and get all technical about it like i know what my body sort of needs and i'll sort of react accordingly given whatever my glucose levels say is going on so, so i mean that's fine in terms of like your, your training and even building up to 100 miler because you're never actually running 100 miles in, in one go. Sure. But let, let's talk about that now. Obviously, there's a lot of training involved. Uh, how long did you train for, for UTD 100 miler? If you love the work we are doing and the impact that Making a Runner has had on the running community so far, then why not become an official Making a Runner fan? That's right, guys. Making a Runner is now on Patreon. Although this started purely as a passion project, we have had to become realistic about the time and cost of running a successful podcast. And that's why we've decided to provide memberships where our fans can either make a pledge to support our work or receive exclusive behind-the-scenes content, discounts on racepass.com, as well as downloadable running programs to guide them along the running journeys. If you want to make a pledge and become a super fan of the show, make sure to go and visit patreon.com forward slash runner. Thank you for your continued support and enjoy the rest of the show. Um, I always, I mean, you guys will probably say the same thing when you do your ultras, like it's compounded interest over time. So I would <laughs> say 
I was training for years and felt comfortable to do it from November or December 2022. And yeah, then just started dialing yeah. in from there. Um, and the actual 100 miler event, obviously that's, that's a monster on its own. And from a management perspective of managing your condition, um, did you did you take any special considerations on that particular race day, or did you also just have the intuitive approach where if I'm feeling good, I'm going to take it. If I'm not feeling good, I'm going to leave it. So what I did was just made sure I had whatever I needed for every okay like scenario. Yeah, my sort of nutrition packs, if you want to call that, I had like specifically put together packs for each aid station where I'd see my crew, and like that was also based on like the distance between or the altitude that we were climbing, um, because I know all those things are going to obviously, again, affect your glucose in one way or another. But at the same time, it was just, yeah, keep whatever you need on you between be, those be aid stations. Be prepared for anything. Because, yeah, anything can happen. And, yeah, I'm pretty happy to say that it went relatively well. I didn't really experience any tough times. I think there was a... L- I don't know if it was a low or just altitude. <laughs> or just <laughs> running 100 miles. Yeah. yeah, but like when you get to um, that highest peak, what's it called again? Taba. Taba, yeah. It was at night and I started getting like the weak legs, shakes, the those sort of low glucose level feels. And then I sat down at once we reached the top and the guys were super like helpful there with water and that. But I think I ate like two or three bar ones <laughs> and then... Uh, Just cra- to get back up. <laughs> yeah, but it's annoying because you're wasting so much. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a time-wasting exercise, but you, you don't have an option. And then carried on after that. And from there, pretty much to the finish. Felt good. I felt good. For our listeners that don't know much about UTD 100 Mile, can we just give them a little bit of a, an understanding of what that race is actually all about and why it is such a tough 100 miler? Okay, so UTD 100 miler turns out to be, I think it was 168 Ks <laughs> on my Garmin. Um, but it's across two countries, Lesotho and South Africa. You start in Lesotho up at the top of Sani Pass. Ele- elevation? Just short of 3,000 meters, I think, at Sani Pass. And eh? I think that's one of the toughest things about that, that ultra yeah. is, is the altitude. I mean, I was looking at a friend looking at doing it UTMB this year. And I mean, they obviously don't go to the top of Mont Blanc. They run around it. But there, I think they're at like the highest peak is like 2.7 or 2.8. But also con- compare it to UTCT. You know, you, you, you really just can't. It's yeah, it's a complete different struggle um, and beast. So your first 72 kilometers of that race is all basically you're hovering around 3,000 meters above sea level. So it just felt like someone was sitting on your lungs while you're trying to run. Every deep breath you take just feels like you're hardly getting much in. Um, sure. But, yeah, so you've got 72 Ks up there. Some big, All your biggest climbs are up there as well, which makes it difficult. Like, say, you, you peak the, well, you summit the highest peak in Southern Africa. Um, and then once you're done with Lesotho, uh, you drop back down Sony Pass into South Africa for your next 100-odd <laughs> Ks. Um, but it's really weird. You're coming down in Sony Pass, you can feel your lungs getting filled mm-hmm. with air again. And they just say you've got to. Everyone said you just got to get through Lesotho. Once you're through Lesotho, then it's a lot easier. And they were, they were on it, but you're still like 100 k's to go. Or whatever. The thing is, you're running through the nut, right? Mm-hmm. So in Lesotho, through the nut, how do you stay on track? How do you just keep yourself motivated to keep going at that stage? Yes, I had a lot of music playing um, was one thing, but I don't know it. I'd like I'd done this race so many times in my head before we even got to the start. Like, are you just running on adrenaline? Like, is it a lot of? um, I don't know if I had adrenaline because I was quite calm 
like I wasn't nervous at the start. Like I knew I'd done the work. That was like the base of my confidence going to the start, well, being at the start line. We had done training camps in Lesotho. I knew half the route already. Um, that always helps me in just knowing what's coming up. So I didn't know if I had much adrenaline going into that race, but yeah, there was just a drive that I had to finish this race. Like mm. I was, I was happy if I didn't finish it, if it was like a rolled snapped ankle or something like yeah, that. And sure. I was content at the start because I know I'd done the training to, to do it. So yeah, I but just so kind of felt like I was going to smash it anyway. So just <laughs> to get an understanding. So, I mean, do, do you think um, a lot of people living with type 1 diabetes maybe take life a little bit easier because of the condition and maybe don't try and get out there and do adventures like this? And then I think also just to ask you, like, is running UTD 160 kilometers, 100 miler, is it something that someone would recommend to somebody with type 1 diabetes? Or is it a, is it a dangerous situation to, to put somebody with that condition in? So to answer your first question, I think like historically, and I mean, I experienced it when I was diagnosed as well, like the doctors sort of paint quite a grim picture for you to say like, you've got type 1 diabetes. You're Stay gonna indoors. That. <laughs> yeah, you're going to live with this for the rest of your life. If you don't manage this well, you're going to lose feet, eyes, like eyesight, all these horrific things. And I think that's just like instantly will shock guys into a state of like, I need to be conservative. But is hell. that realistic? I mean... You know, are people, you know, losing, um, getting I, blind, losing feet, losing limbs? I worked with a guy when I was doing my electrical trade who was type 1 diabetic and he just mismanaged it horrifically. He worked at the company and he eventually passed away like yeah. from mismanaging his diabetes. So it is there. It's not like, mm. and I get it from the doctor's perspective because humans, I mean, we don't like to believe in something until it really happens. Yeah. So, oh, okay, this might happen and then... So I'm not going to take it seriously. And then I go blind. Oh, flip. I should have taken that seriously. So I understand where the medical professionals are coming in from that angle and being quite hard about it. But I think a lot of people then leave that like room or that consultation thinking like quite negatively and, oh, my life's now going to be governed by this, this chronic illness for the rest of my life. And I need to be super conservative about what I do. And my perspective was the opposite. I was like... I'm not going to let this thing own what mm. I do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And running essentially helps you manage your diabetes like a million times better. So I was like, well, I love running. I'm just going to amplify in, that. In what, in what sense does running help it? So like exercise, physical activity. physical activity makes you less resistant to insulin. So your body be like, basically, I will use, again, less insulin to have more of an effect. Okay. Um, that's hard. And obviously it brings it naturally brings your glucose levels down. Yeah, because you use your glucose as fuel. Mm, okay. yeah. uh, but you know, it also to, to go and back then, onto the, the, the dangers of diabetes, yeah. you know, because your body doesn't heal as well as someone that doesn't have diabetes. Uh, so a, a normal cut on your foot, mm. that's not something you, you're too worried about, you know, but a diabetic that gets a cut that doesn't get treated correctly and they're not managing their condition, they can easily lose foot, leg quite quickly uh so that's i think where the medical approach is very conservative mm. uh but i do agree with jono in the sense that 
there is this taboo around it and people are super scared. I mean, I see it in my practice when, when someone comes through and they've got diabetes, like they, they almost bubble wrap themselves throughout their entire life. And when they start exercising and they start feeling better, they feel empowered naturally that oh, I can actually do this thing. So, you know, it is motivational, uh, but I think it's, it's a fine line to find. And if you are very in tune with it and you've been practicing it for years, I think you get to a point like you are now down the line where you where you know your condition, you know your body and you can manage it a lot better. But in the first couple of years or even first couple of weeks, I think yeah. it must be a hell of a scary thing. Yeah, so like to go back to David's second question on... Was it, is it recommended? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, <laughs> John is going red there. Because I mean, I mean, obviously I know you, you also documented it around yeah. like running with type 1 diabetes, right? So yeah. from what I... I saw that and I gathered, okay, this, is, this isn't just someone running UTD 100 miler. This is obviously quite an exceptional you know, achievement. So obviously it, not, not anybody with type 1 diabetes would have done it. And yeah, just maybe, yeah. maybe walk us through that. Um, yeah, so from a, a medical practitioner perspective, they would not recommend, like just even to protect themselves would probably not re- uh, recommend doing it. But again, it's not like I decided in January without any running background that I'm now going to go do a 100 miler. It's been since 2017, living with it, learning from it. Yeah. Started off, like I mentioned earlier, like just hikes, really understanding how it's going to affect you, what food does, what different intensity levels of training will do to you. And yeah, slowly chipping away. I think 2021, I did that fifth, my first 50 miler with, with Trav uh, at Carcloof. Mm-hmm. And that was still of the old system, just finger prick testing, that sort of vibe. And Managed to get through that. So while he's unsta- changing his his <laughs> li- his prosthetic leg, you're pricking your finger. Yeah, we're like the dysfunctional duo <laughs> at, at the 50 mile. <laughs> it was great. Um, but yeah, we managed to get through that unscathed. And I was like, well, if we can do that, then I'm just going to continue building on, on this journey. Mm. Um, so I, if someone came to me and said they've got type 1 diabetes and they want to run a 100 mile, like... Obviously, I'd be first question would be, well, how much are you running now, or how long have you been running for? And depending on where they're at, like I would guide them from there. But it's yeah, it's obviously a risky scenario. Like going into that hundred mile, I had no idea how the body was going to react. I never ran that far yeah. before in my life. What was never. your longest run that you'd done before? Then? Fifty miler. Okay. So it was like eighty two k's, half, not half even half the and distance. Also, sorry, just to ask, did you did you do this to? try and motivate people with type 1 diabetes? I mean, are there advocates out there, you know, doing these kind of crazy adventures to maybe try and build awareness of like, listen, you, you, you can do all these different activities with type 1 di- diabetes. Um, so yeah, I mean, did you do it as a motivational uh, source for uh, other people or was it mainly just something, you know, for you to, to test yourself? Definitely a bit of both. Like, I want to know... Like my competitive side or like personal drive just wants to know how far we can go. And then in the same breath, just to start breaking down stigmas again of what is possible if you are living with type 1 diabetes. I mean, even the 50 miler would have been considered a bit nuts. Um, But you are seeing guys overseas. I've seen a couple of guys in America with type 1 diabetes running 100 milers. Um, I mean, even... What's that rugby, England rugby player's name? Henry Slade, the centre. He's a type 1 diabetic. So there are guys out there who are like performing at top levels. Professional sportsmen. Yeah, okay. performing at top levels with it. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to try and use it as a, a 
channel of, of motivation or inspiration uh, for others that are living with type 1 diabetes to just show like, guys, you can do more. But then at the same time, I always wanted to see my own limits or test them. And mm. yeah, I could say, standing at that start line, I had no idea I could what was going to happen. Like, I didn't know that maybe after 24 hours, the system was just going to shut down and say, yeah. sorry, this is not what we are capable of doing. So <laughs> stop your race. Get up, go yeah. home. <laughs> How long did it take you? 33 hours. So you went nonstop for 33 hours. And, and you were the first uh, type 1 diabetic home. Yeah, I went every type 1 diabetic. <laughs> 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 no, no. I want to ask, because now obviously we're talking about 100 mile hour, we're talking 50 mile hour, we're talking ultra endurance events here. And obviously with doing ultra endurance events, yes, it's physically tough because perhaps you're at 3,000 meters above sea level or whatever. But, you know, the pace is not that high. Yeah. Uh, so most of the time it's power hiking, running a little bit here and there. Um, what do you find harder is obviously now having done 100 miler, is that ch more challenging than say going out and running 10 kilometers hard or 21 kilometers hard? Because obviously your rate of fuel need and, and managing your, your condition of diabetes <coughs> is, is two different things when you're trying to manage it for ultra versus managing yeah. Ask him this question uh, tomorrow. He's running out to 10K. <laughs> PB. <laughs> no, um, anything below 21, I can just redline. And I'll probably get away with like a with like a Morton <laughs> or something. No, that that's is some great advice right there, right? <laughs> I like that advice. No, Anything below twenty-one, just red line. <laughs> okay. Those distances are like I can. So get you away. feel you feel fine when you're doing the shorter ones. You feel like you can just dig deep and and push hard without yes. necessarily taking too much in. Yeah, like I'll have some gels on me, and as long as I've you're just trying to top up. As you go along. Yeah, if I've eaten well beforehand, then it, I should be fine. But like every now and then a curveball is thrown in and at the 5K mark, all of a sudden your body's decided <laughs> not today and it's dropping and you're like, okay. But I think that happens to everyone anyway. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, think I, I, I would benefit from having that excuse. <laughs> oh, you know, my, my, my glucose. My, and, but and then like, I think my hardest distance is probably like 42Ks. So like that because you want to go fast, you want to burn, but you're not carrying, you're not going to, hit a road marathon with like a race pack and have eight like your crew waiting for you every eight k's to sit down what do you need take this take that swap, swap the phone pass. swap the phone yeah, yeah yes i know though but because i mean a marathon you're doing what four hours if we're being i mean three and a half i don't know i'm throwing out time just there. insulting i'm yeah. not three hours i don't know I don't 325 325 <laughs> there you go there you go and a hundred miler is 33 hours so like Pick your poison, you know. Do you want to be on I your feet and awake for thirty-three hours, or get it over and done? I just think, like from a perform, like from a refueling perspective, it's easier to do it on a, a hundred miles. Thirty-three yeah. hours, because but I it's slower. Down. It's consistent yeah. as well. So, like you, you can feel your body going through it. Whereas, like you say, when you are trying to, p I think marathon <laughs> is a tough distance already as is. Otherwise, obviously, it wouldn't be such a big mark in terms of being able to run a marathon. But when you've got a condition like yours, where you're having to really find that line between hyper and upper uh, when you are pushing yourself if you're just going for an easy marathon it's a different story but when you are trying to push the boundaries i mean think about it to, when you're trying to push a marathon davy you you're going mm. all out for 245 yeah. three hours four hours <laughs> and uh, Sonny Stagger, yeah. You, you, you don't, you've got so much other stimulation going on that now you're having to really think hard about how your body's actually feeling and how it's reacting to that feel. But I think because you've taken the approach of I, as long as I'm just topping that 
that glucose up essentially i should never get into a hypo and as long as i'm not topping it up too too uh, uh quickly uh, yeah. then i won't get into a hypo is that the basic yeah. of it pretty much and i think if i am going to want to like better performance results down the line i'm, I'm going to have to dial into it a bit more even though like naturally i don't want to do that <laughs> because i think even the uh super sapiens guys like when you look at their sort of dashboard on your, for your glucose, like they're always saying like keep it at, if you are like doing an intense endurance event like a triathlon or a, a marathon or something, is to keep it at above 140. Um, and a lot of the times I will be like in the green zone, but it's not, you should be a little bit higher. Not at the top of it, you'll be at the As, bottom of it. Yeah. And obviously you're talking about, we're talking about apps, you mentioned your crew. Um, it's... <laughs> You're doing the event, you're going through it, but it's not just you, right? It's a whole support crew. Uh, it's medical doctors and the build-up and all of that, right? Yeah. How, how does that work? So, yeah, like, I know you guys said give any shout-outs and stuff at the beginning, but... Do it. <laughs> I have to, like, honestly, this, like, I would not have even... Like, I always had this idea and this goal that a 100-miler would be great, but off that sort of manual finger stick testing method I was like that's not a safe way to approach this like I was like you're not going to be able to do it like that like that will there's too much unknown in that sort of approach and something bad could really happen and then when I got approached to join the the freestyle Libre team which is essentially a subsidiary of of Abbott and I mean all know Abbott in terms of running they're massive globally and they play a huge role in that and so when I joined them I also was like I don't know how good this thing is going to be or how long is it going to last or how accurate it's going to be. And I think it wasn't even a month after using that Freestyle Libre thing. That's when I was like, Click, wow. I'm going to 100 miler next year. I can do it. And I can um, do it. Yeah. So why isn't everybody using these? Obviously, price is one thing, but what's the price point of one of these? I think if you're going to just buy that without any medical aid assistance, it's a thousand rand a unit. Um, Are they the same? The box that you look at? So the the yellow box is a flash glucose monitor. The black box is a continuous glucose monitor. We'll put a photo of these boxes. A thousand rand a unit, and how many uses do you get out of it? So they will last, I think it's 13 or 14 days. So you actually need two a month. Okay. Which is a small price to pay in terms of being able to know your glucose day in and day out when you are training. It is for sure. Um, But like... Obviously, from what I've seen and experienced, you know, the guys who really need it the most are the guys who can't obviously afford sure. it. Mm. Um, diabetes is an expensive condition to to manage successfully from getting the right foods to getting your exercise in. I mean, you know what a pair of running shoes go for these days. Um, and then to top it off with something like that, um, it is really difficult. And I know having chatted to the guys at, at Freestyle Libre, um, like obviously they're trying to get their, do their best to get medical aids on board and it's pretty much just South Africa they say where the medical aids are being really difficult and they're slowly like coming around to the idea of it. But, but um, I don't understand why that would be because... He says, like they've told me in even other third world countries, like the government just covers that cost and it's like a right if you have type 1 diabetes to have access to, to those sensors. So do you see that changing in the, in the near future? I hope it does. Because, I mean, like, even personally, like, I yeah. don't know if I could go back to finger pricks to, like, yeah. testing mm. after having used these. And 
again, like the mount, it just like opens up a whole new world for you once you've got that information. Like again, wouldn't have done a UTD 100 miler without it. But I think you mentioned an important point there because obviously we're talking about your experience and running with diabetes, but you know, there's a lot of people out there that are running with diabetes that don't even know to have diabetes. And if they were to uh, be diagnosed with it, they wouldn't have the means of actually managing that condition successfully too. Uh, so you you find yourself in a fortunate position. How strong is the diabetes community in this country yeah. in terms of you know supporting others and, and, and spreading the, the word? Um, look, I think since I've been diagnosed, it's definitely gotten stronger. There's a group down in Cape Town, like the SA Diabetes Advocacy Group. I think that's their correct name. But yeah, that's, they all sound so serious. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, when I first got like diagnosed, I sort of like looked around online and there was Diabetes South Africa. And then like I got in touch and it just, no offense, like I think they've changed the game a bit since then, but it, was, it just felt very like backward in a sense and serious. Like I went to one of their like, meetups and, <laughs> and you would have been cracking some jokes oh, well, like you said yeah, it's that old was, school approach hey? yeah i was like <laughs> i had to talk and i was like yo i'm training for iron man and everyone's eyes was going <laughs> was it like, hi my name's jono and yeah. i'm a diabetic <laughs> <No>. <laughs> kind of but they brought me in the lady brought me in to chat to this group because i was training for iron man i was running marathons and stuff at the time and it, it felt like entering a morgue almost like it was just such a downer vibe and but even then, like having like hosted things before, you create that sort of energy in a room. You know, if you walk into a room and there's like nice music playing mm. and you're putting out good energy, then the, the whole room's going to be uplifted as you mm. enter, and that's going to change your approach. This was like the opposite. You walked in there and it was just quiet, and like the chairs had been laid out in rows, and like hey. just not really. And you're like, how do I? And then you get thrown into the front of everyone, and like you must now get these guys all moving and mm. active and you're like well wasn't well, I'm sure you, you got them but you're getting them moving through your actions uh, yeah. i'm sure you're inspiring yeah. people all over the place of what you're doing but if they if there's sort of like any practical tips or advice yes. that runners out there or even diabetics out there that are list that get to listen to this and don't know where to even begin what would sort of be your your top three tips for diabetic running um Firstly, <laughs> just get moving. Start slow. Whether it's just walks, 5K walks, 10K walks, and then and start understanding because obviously we all react differently. Like there's no blueprint to how you're going to manage this. So I can literally take you through like my steps of how I got to where I am. And that would be firstly, start slow and understand. Like if I eat a banana and I've taken 20 mils or whatever it is of insulin, how is that going to, how is my body going to react? sort of thing um and i found the f you know the further i was walking or you know as i started slowly getting into the running the more confidence i would get through the information and the knowledge maybe step two would be try to reach out to some sort of fellow people living with type 1 diabetes how can people reach out to you <laughs> They can DM me on Instagram. <laughs> oh. no, 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 no. Don't DM please, Davey. Please rephrase that. Don't, don't make it sound so creepy, man. No, you can joking. find Jono at... Uh, Jono. Yeah, <laughs> look, I've, I mean, I've had... Slide um, into my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can reach out. Uh, I think like Instagram is probably my, my most active platform. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of... I've chatted to a lot of people in the past, like just where do we get going. Um, when I started, there wasn't really... In, like even till today, like my... Diabetic specialist was like, oh, like, 
have you spoken to nutritionists and stuff? And I'm like, well, can you show me the nutritionist with type one that's living with type one diabetes and has done a hundred miler? Mm. Because if they haven't, then how can they tell me yeah. how to do it in yeah. a sense? And not to be, not trying to be arrogant or negative about it. It's just like, I, it's such a specific thing that I'm dealing with that I can yeah. only teach myself it's really at experience. this stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and I, I, so I, I just wanted to ask, obviously a hundred miler, done that now. What's next for for Jono on this journey? Um, a faster hundred miler. A faster hundred miler. I really, yeah, my goal. I really want to do the sub thirty at UTD. Um, I think I did it as best as I could this year. Like just with the knowledge I had, I had to be conservative. Like I said, I didn't know how the body was going to react at all. So I probably lost a bit of time. Just but I had to do it. Like I can only say that in hindsight. Um, so I'd like to go back next year and. Try to do a sub thirty. Well, well, we recently had Michael Baker on here, and yes. uh, he does this interesting <laughs> thing called the Grand Traverse. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe take it up a notch, and uh, that sounds like fun, hey Nick? Not for me. No. <laughs> I, I'd <laughs> like to hike it over seven days, maybe, but uh, not it's, not how these oaks do it. There's like a, there is a there is a limit to endurance, I think, with with diabetes, and that's the fact that I always need to have access to. Like a crew. A okay, well crew. then that's interesting. Yeah, so talking about that limit. So yeah. so you, you can't do anything um, unsupported? No. no. Well, I, I could, but I wouldn't advise it. Um, like even I was playing with the idea or really interested in the idea of doing like the George Mutt 100 miler next year. And then the realization kicks in of like, okay, but you're going to have to get your whole support crew down there. That's yeah. And then it's like, pff, financially, this is just going to get too, too out of hand too quickly. Skyrun love to i mean i think i've been given offered like three entries this year alone to do that 100k and then you chat to the guys about it and you want to do it because it's like the original mm. tough trail race of south africa and then the guys tell you how remote it is and like there's hardly any access for yeah, crew there's like really. one or two aid stations and you go could probably do it but it's not going to be a safe idea so but then so i mean what do you need from those crews when you're on route because i mean is it mainly nutrition obviously you can carry quite a bit of nutrition on you i don't run 100 miles so it's, it's impossible to keep all that fuel on you correct i mean you could but you're going to be like running with a massive backpack yeah, very and heavy it's and I it's also know. all your insulin and if anything goes wrong you're on your own and i think yeah, that's the main thing that's the point like i mean if i go into for some reason a hypoglycemic coma when i'm out there yeah there might be some other runners but what are they going to do mm. like it's UTD was as difficult as it was. It was manageable. Like your your biggest sections between aid stations were thirty kilometers. But even if you were at the fifth, like halfway, like in terms of like as the bird flies to your nearest uh, aid station or to your crew, wasn't that bad. I found. Um, so yeah, I thought that was probably the reason why I could do it. Um, but then doing something like a Drakensberg Grand Traverse, self-supported yeah, nice on your own. Like Mr. Baker did. Mr. Baker uh, could be your support crew. He, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's he's I mean, the equivalent he's, to like four people. Yeah, he's a so. train. He could pack everything <laughs> on him, and uh, he could carry it for you. <laughs> so maybe yeah, I'm just saying, maybe. sweet talk him. Ilya yeah. Kipchoge says no human is limited, right? Yeah. So no fair enough. <laughs> I'm just like trying to push the boundary of, of type one diabetes. I'm like, I want to yeah. see more. Okay. No, like, well, that was a weird thing as well. Like, <laughs> not good enough. Like, <laughs> yeah, why did you still manage to get across the finish line? So, like, but that you're going to go like, back and do it again? No. Yeah. Two hundred <laughs> kilometers. Well, like, it was a weird feeling. Like, 
actually crossing that finish line because I felt quite strong when I got across it and I was like, I could probably go for a bit longer. <laughs> um, so it was like, yes, straight, I'm finished, but almost like a bit bleak that it wasn't harder. Like Too easy, eh? Wanted to crawl over that, that finish line. I like. reckon you need to run comrades next year. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, I would like to do comrades, um, but I think UTD sub 30 hour first. That's your immediate goal. That's my immediate goal for next year. Okay. I think I'd, I'd like to do Kaku 50 miler in September because it's actually like a run. You can race that yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, just dealing with a bit of tendonitis stuff at the moment. And I think we've only got about eight or seven weeks left mm. to, to train properly yeah, for it. Fun. So it's getting like, I pretty much have to make a call after the 10K tomorrow like to see Ooh. how we're feeling. <laughs> I think we'll all make a call after the 10K tomorrow yeah. to see how we're feeling. But Jono, it's, it's been a real pleasure to chat to you today. Um, I think, you know, a, as we mentioned, diabetes is a condition that not many people have a lot of uh, idea about and mm. the limit they don't know the limitations of it and i think you've explained those limitations quite nicely today you've also shown us what is possible i mean obviously we're talking about the the ultimate end of it ultra endurance running 100 milers but as you say it starts with just going for a walk 5k walk is is more than enough and and it progresses but i think it's about building that consistency over years and learning how your body reacts to the condition rather than just being so scared by that condition that it stops you from living your life. So, you know, you really are an advocate for this condition. And I just want to keep on motivating you to just keep going, man, because you're doing a fantastic thing. And I think runners throughout the country and the world that get to 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 share your journey will feel the exact same way. So I just want to say thanks for coming to share that with us today. And we wish you all the best. And we hope that you do get that sub 30 at UTD next time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um I appreciate all the all the kind words and for hosting me today. I think the more we have these co sort of conversations and get that sort of information out there, because it, again, type one diabetes or diabetes in general is, I think it's a condition that gets thrown around a lot. You hear a lot about it, but the actual understanding isn't there. I mean, mm. the amount of times I've had friends send me a article on a cure for diabetes, <laughs> and um, it's actually they're yeah. talking about type two. <laughs> it's like follow these five steps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised Davey hasn't sent you one because he likes to just read the top line <laughs> of the article. Be like, here we go. That's just for Nick about okay. why, why strength work isn't important for runners. <laughs> just spoken about that, why it is important. But um, yeah, so the more we can have these sort of platforms to, to speak about it and give people a better understanding of, of what the condition is and how you can still manage it and what you can still do is, yeah, I think beneficial for everyone. So, yeah, continue to do my best to get that information out there. But, yeah, thanks very much for, for having yeah, me on the show, and then I just think from my side, you know, I've been educated and inspired today. I told Nick the other day I don't often get inspired by many people, <laughs> but your journey is one that inspires me. And it's been great to actually just understand a bit more about diabetes in general. And, guys, for anybody that wants to learn a bit more about diabetes or anybody that also has type 1 diabetes, do go give Jono a follow on, on Instagram. It is Jono LaRue, L-E-R-O-U-X. I think it's just Jono LR89. John, okay, well, we'll also tag you yeah, we'll on, our on our socials. He has some really, really cool photos from UTD 100 Miler. Professional film crew, photographer <laughs> crew followed you on that journey, but the, the pictures yeah. alone are, are really inspirational. And I, for one, can't wait to see what you do next. I expect thanks. it to get progressively better. <laughs> but, um, but thanks for coming today, John. It was epic. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.